A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maven, concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights are probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 415. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are talking about The Curse of the Mummy. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. We are going back to horror classics and looking at another episode from the Mystery and Imagination series from ITV. This time it is The Curse of the Mummy, which was a 75-minute color TV play from February of 1970. And it was an adaptation of a book by Bram Stoker. It was indeed. And of course, as you say, Brian, we are again playing with some of the horror archetypes or going back to the source material in a way for what became 20th century horror archetypes. So it gives us a chance to talk about well, the mummy and the backstory of mummy fiction. Absolutely. So let's get to the setup of The Curse of the Mummy. We are probably around about the time of Bram Stoker's book being published. So we reckon we're in 1903 or thereabouts, an Edwardian setting. And there's a famous Egyptologist, a Mr. Trelawney, who's been attacked in his home and now lies in some sort of stupor, possibly in a drugged coma, unresponsive, and has also been injured in this attack. That's right. And Dr. Malcolm Ross is called to his home to help with the police investigation and to help with his treatment. But it turns out Trelawney's daughter, who is also there, has been been left with some very specific instructions to deal with exactly this situation of her father being unconscious and being in this type of illness. And we also see that the house is full of Egyptian artifacts, some of them, maybe a number of them, apparently connected to this mystery. Yeah, this is a house that sort of drips with Egyptian art and and uh, items. And it's a sort of spooky Edwardian house as well. There's sort of stuff going on. We're going to be sort of... Well, basically, we were stuck in this house pretty much for the whole of this episode, aren't we? Yes, it does have a slightly claustrophobic feel because of that. So if we deal with the characters in The Curse of the Mummy, we start with Mr. Trelawney, played by the very recognisable actor Graham Crowden, probably best known for a series called Waiting for God, but he was also apparently offered the part of the fourth Doctor in Doctor Who and turned it down, and so... Instead, we had obviously Tom Baker and things change quite dramatically when Tom Baker becomes the Doctor. But anyway, Graham Crowden, he's going to spend the first half of this play in this coma, but he will revive. He is an obsessive, extremely expert Egyptologist. He has been studying some legends from ancient Egypt and his obsession with these legends is going to sort of drive the plot on once he revives. Absolutely. And tending to him and dealing with a lot of things, we have Dr. Malcolm Ross, played by Patrick Mower, who we saw in The Dark Side of the Sun. 
And as a doctor, he is attending to Trelawney, and he is also helping the police in their investigation. And he is doing a lot of the work to try to figure out what's going on. In the house, we have Trelawney's daughter, Margaret, played by Isabel Black, another very recognisable actor. She was in The Avengers. She was in Adam Adamant Lives. She was in three episodes of Ace of Wands, but they were missing, or they are missing episodes. So we never actually saw them when we considered that series. But she is the daughter of the house. She is somewhat of a romantic interest for Dr. Ross as well. There's clearly some sort of friendship and romance possibly between them. But of course, this is a Curse of the Mummy episode or play. And she has a strange connection to the ancient Egyptian high priestess who Trelawney has been studying and seems to be the main focus of his research. Sergeant Dow, played by Murray Hayne, is the police detective who was investigating the attack and is very dogged and serious, you know, sort of traditional portrayal there, but is rather differential to Trelawney and to Ross, even to Margaret Trelawney as well. Yes, he pretty much does what he's told, although he is clearly quite good at his job it seems but he does what he's told quite a lot of the time in this household doesn't he yeah he's figuring out or helping to figure out what's going on he is doing some police work but he does seem to defer to everyone else in the house quite a bit and then we're gonna get one more character injected into this sort of bottle situation in this house Corbeck will turn up, played by Donald Churchill. Corbeck is an archaeologist, a dig supervisor. He arrives at the house to see Trelawney. Trelawney is still in the coma at this stage, and so Corbeck will give us quite a lot of the backstory about his excavations and explorations in the Nile Valley with Trelawney. And in a previously unexcavated valley, and the things that they have discovered and brought back to this Edwardian house. Yes, and one of the things that we get from that is that we have to wait until this character, Corbeck, enters the play, which is not at the beginning. We have to wait a while before we can get a lot of the details for what's behind this. And I think that was pretty effective. So getting into a bit more of the story, Trelawney's instructions require that he is watched over by a man and by a woman in his room at all times. And, you know, they have to figure out how to do that. It means that Dr. Malcolm Ross and the daughter, Margaret Trelawney, are very often the ones who are there. And this allows them to have conversations and to develop some of what's going on there. It also leaves them open to a similar attack of we don't know exactly what happened to Mr. Trelawney himself. Now, it's a bit strange. Um, There is, as you say, they get attacked again. It's all still mysterious as to what exactly is going on and who, you know, is attacking them. And then, of course, Corbeck, the Egyptologist, the archaeologist, the digger, is going to turn up and reveal what he and Trelawney have been up to. And, of course, there's a locked room in this house, a room that they previously couldn't get into, but that Corbeck can open for them. And within this room lies the sarcophagus of the priestess, Queen Terra. 
who bears a remarkable resemblance to, of course, Margaret Trelawney. And you'll, you know, you will, you'll spot this trope in stories about ancient Egypt and the mummy that we get a resemblance between current characters and the characters from the past. We also have Corbeck arriving and bringing the key, both literally and metaphorically, because he brings the key to open this room where all of these Egypt-related things are are stored, but he also brings the information about what he and Trelawney have been doing. So he's bringing the information that is the key to understand what's going on. And then, of course, the next significant thing happens, which is that Mr. Trelawney wakes up and is determined to carry on with his plan his researches have led him to a theory and he's determined to put this into action and uh, that's going to drive us on towards the end of this story. Yes, and well, as we go on, we'll talk a bit more about the divide between when Trelawney is unconscious and then when he wakes up later on. Interesting stuff. So, I guess it's time for our production notes, Brian. Yes, indeed. We have talked about ITV's Mystery and Imagination series before, In British Invaders 194 and 195, we covered their adaptation of Frankenstein. And in 220 and 221, we covered their adaptation of Dracula. The series ran for five series from 1966 to 1970, a total of 24 episodes. Unfortunately, only eight of those exist in the the archive, And this is the third time we're covering one, but we are already getting enough to get a bit of a sense for what they were doing with those. Yes, I mean, a considerable series in the mid to late 60s for ITV, uh, produced for ITV by Jonathan Olwyn. And as you've probably guessed, Mystery and Imagination was notable for covering basically the classics of 19th century slightly supernatural, creepy literature. So as well as the Frankenstein by Mary Shelley and Bram Stoker's Dracula and this Bram Stoker adaptation we're talking about now, but they also did, obviously, M.R. James stories, Sheridan Le Fanu. They did a Robert Louis Stevenson and Edgar Allan Poe. So, you know, the big names from 19th century literature. And this, interestingly enough, The Curse of the Mummy was the very last episode produced of this series, uh, which, as you say, Brian, was in early 1970 when it was broadcast. Yes, and as we mentioned earlier, by this time it was in colour. The earlier ones that we covered were, were in black and white. Now, The Curse of the Mummy was adapted from a novel called Jewel of the Seven Stars, which was written by Bram Stoker, published in 1903. And it was notable for a dark and horrific ending, which was quite unpopular at the time, to the point where Stoker actually published a revised version with a happy ending in 1912, nine years later. Slightly unusual to have to redo the ending because it's not popular. Yeah, I imagine he was getting 
quite some feedback over that. Yeah. The story was adapted for the screen by John Russell Taylor, who made some changes. The book is narrated by Malcolm Ross, who is Trelawney's lawyer. And for the screen version, he combined the lawyer and the doctor characters. And of course, they were not using narration, so they didn't need that part of it. So combine those two characters. And interestingly also, the detective has been downgraded from the superintendent of the novel to a detective sergeant in this version. Possibly, I wondered about this, is possibly because it allows or perhaps explains why the police officer goes along with Trelawney's strange requests both at the start when they're passed on by Margaret and towards the end when it's Trelawney himself. But also I wondered about, because with Victorian literature, that's when the detective sergeant or the idea of the detective first appeared. And I believe the first one was a sergeant. And I just wondered if there might be a slight touch of that in this version as well. But certainly it allows for the detective to be bossed around a bit by these Edwardian gentlemen. Yeah, it does give you the sense that he doesn't have a lot of authority and he would have to check with his superiors for certain things and so on, which does fit with the storytelling. So it may have been a reason related to that. Right. Now, this was the first on-screen version of Bram Stoker's novel. There are four subsequent big-screen film versions, of which the most, probably the most famous, is a year later, Hammer's Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, 1971, with Andrew Keir, who was, of course, Quatermass, in Quatermass in the Pit, the film version, the Hammer version, and then Valerie Leon, very notable actor from the 60s and 70s, a Bond girl twice, Brian, Valerie Leon. And that came out, as I said, in 1971. And that's probably the most famous one. Yeah. So one of these novels that did get used a number of times for productions, but hadn't been up until this time, which is interesting. The Curse of the Mummy was directed by Guy Verney, who we have seen from Pathfinders in Space and City Beneath the Sea, The Avengers, Out of the Unknown. But he did a lot of other work as well. A prolific television director from the era. It was filmed at the Thames Television Studios in 1969 with music composed by Norman Kay, who also worked on Out of the Unknown and worked on Doctor Who. Interesting. I mean, he's, a again, a bit of a notable composer on television from this time. Yeah. And, you know, one of these people who was doing a lot of different things things around that time. The Curse of the Mummy was broadcast on ITV on February 23rd, 1970 at 8.30pm. Presumably because the creepy stuff doesn't happen in the first half hour, so that gets them past the watershed, I guess, Brian. <laughs> yes, maybe so. And interestingly, they quite heavily promoted this one in the ITV's television listings magazine from the time, TV Times. We know that there were features about women in horror in the magazine. This was linked with an interview with Isabel Black, who talked about her work in this play. And there was also, interestingly, an article sort of focusing on Peggy Stein's makeup design for the Queen Terror. Very sort of like 
recognisable Egyptian eye makeup and so on. So they obviously went quite went quite heavily on it when TV Times in promoting it. Interesting. So let's talk about the availability for this one. So I've checked and thankfully the Mystery and Imagination DVD set, which I have, is still available for about £20 new. It contains all of those surviving eight episodes are spread over four discs. There's also a few minutes footage that survived from a missing 1968 episode, Casting the Runes, which I think we've referred to before when we've talked about that M.R. James story. It also has an image gallery on the discs, but most importantly, it's got an extensive and very helpful notes booklet from a very well-known TV historian, Andrew Pixley, who we've mentioned quite a few times when it comes to these notes booklets. As ever, if you have the booklet, it does contain spoilers for the story, so watch the episodes first and then read the notes. I cannot find Mystery and Imagination or any of these episodes streaming over here, and it's also not available to rent the DVD set on Cinema Paradiso, but it is easy and fairly cheap to get hold of the DVD set at the moment. Across the pond in Region 1, Brian? In Region 1, there is no release. All I was able to find were a couple of imports on Amazon. I saw things for $23 US and for $40 Canadian. So you can look at the imports and look at ordering directly from the UK to see which one works out better for you. But there was no Region 1 DVD, and I couldn't find it on any of the online or streaming sites either. Okay, slightly trickier over there. Yes, and the book, of course, is available, and it would be public domain, of course. I haven't read it, but if you were looking for it, that is there. Yeah, neither have I, I'm afraid. But as you say, easily available. Very good. So next time, come back and join us because we're going to talk a little bit more about what is going on in this story. We're going to try and figure out exactly what the curse is. We're going to comment on what was, to me, quite a notable absent feature. And I'd like to talk a little bit about the Victorian and Edwardian obsession with Egyptology, which I think is reflected in Bram Stoker's book and in this uh, adaptation. So quite a bit to get through next time, Brian. Yeah, we definitely have some interesting bits of things to go into, for sure. And we will also give some of our opinions about the television play and talk about how it compares to other episodes of Mystery and Imagination. Until then, you can find all of the episodes of British Invaders at BritishInvaders.com. Over 400 of them, including the others about Mystery and Imagination episodes. If you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can find our group there and join in on some of the discussions. Or you can talk to us about some of this and follow us on Twitter. We are at Brit Invaders Pod on Twitter. And also come and join us as part of the Voice of Geeks Network where you'll find some other podcasts, some gaming stuff, lots of things going on at vognetwork.com. That's the Voice of Geeks. Absolutely. So thank you for listening. And this is Brian from Canada signing off. Yes, thank you very much. Until next time, Eamon in England also signing off. 